the upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. On the good old two-man power trip of wrestling's podcasting empire. If you didn't know by now, my name is Chad. And every single week, I'm the guy that likes to go back in time. I like to go back and look at the good old days of professional wrestling. And I go back to the heyday, at least for us near 40-year-olds. But I go back to the mid-90s, the new generation of the World Wrestling Federation. A time that sticks out very much so, especially for myself, as I really look back on it now as a reflection of uh, what was a much simpler time of being a wrestling fan, a time where you just enjoyed what came on the screen and you didn't obsess about it uh, with every thought uh, being an inch of your life. You actually had a little bit of a break because the shows weren't on 24-7 like they are now, unless you had a uh, killer VHS tape collection, which if you did, hats off to you. Uh, But this week on New Generation Declassified, I actually uh, came up with something that uh, I thought was pretty cool. And I didn't think I needed a guest host for this or a special guest or distinguished uh, voice to uh, join me for this one. I thought this one was pretty cool to kind of cover myself. And as, uh, as I've watched a ton of New Generation content over the last couple of weeks uh just a uh, an absolute treasure trove of <laughs> compilations between 93 94 and early 95 uh, it got me thinking a lot about the vets of the locker room in the uh, new generation era we've talked about a lot of them we've talked about different things that they've done we've kind of spotlighted some we've glanced over others uh but the vets played just as key a role in this new generation as the young guns, the uh, aspiring uh, superstars, you know, your one, two, three kids, your big daddy, cool diesels, a little older, but you know what I mean? In terms of career, the younger guns, uh, you know, the Shawn Michaels evolution, the Bret Hart evolution, you know, Scott Hall, Razor Ramon finally sticking and having a character that he could build off of rather than just being a, a flip flop name. He's the diamond stud. He's this, he's that. no, Razor Ramon is who I'm talking about. So you're in an era where these newer personalities really got a chance to shine. But in this era, it has to have a little bit of a reliance on the good old days, uh, albeit not as much as maybe I would have hoped because I was such a uh, 88 to 92 fan or even born before. Go back to 85, 86 to 92 fan. Um but your Tatankas of the world. And like I said, the one, two, three kid and the uh, Owen hearts of the world, the guys that you would learn to get behind uh, down the road and look back at them in these, uh, these veteran roles. No, during the new generation era, they were really the up and coming hungry tigers of the, uh, the WWF. 
Uh, but the veterans played a real key role in different spots and probably a little bit more than you would think. Just if I said uh, blindly to whoever was sitting across from me here and said, hey, you know, what do you think uh, of this person's new generation? You On the spot, you might just uh, say, oh, you know, they had their spot. They had their place. They had some good matches. Uh, but, you know, I don't really think of them when I think of the new generation. But you'd be surprised. And I compiled a little bit of a list here of uh, what I like to call the old guard during the new generation era. Uh, again, excluding guys like Bret Hart, excluding guys like Shawn Michaels, who were undercard performers and eventually building their way uh, up the uh, the ranks and becoming really the anchors of the entire uh, new generation era, especially Shawn and Bret being exactly what they were and being you know, the absolute faces of the, uh, the, the mid to late 90s WWF. Um, it's these veterans that I think need a little bit more of a light shined on them. And uh, if anything's going to do it, it's going to be darn it, new generation declassified. Because if there's one thing that we can do, it is accentuate the history of professional wrestling. And uh, for those of you that didn't live through this era, for those of you that did live through this era, here we go. This is going to be a window back. Maybe we can all kind of uh, take something from this at the end of it. So with that being said, let's dig into this list that I have compiled. Uh, some folks, you're going to jump off the page and say, well, we've kind of covered them before and others just you'll be surprised with. But let's start off at the top. Let's start off with the guy who everybody was uh, shocked to see left the World Wrestling Federation in November 1994, would eventually debut at the end of the year for WCW. I'm talking about the man who was uh, transitioned from a full-time in-ring performer, uh, world champion the year before the new generation really kind of kicked off and a lot of the changes were made. Uh, but I'm talking about the macho man, Randy Savage. Now, we know uh, from talking about him uh, at length in other episodes, you know, he absolutely had big moments. You know, the crush uh, Macho Man Randy Savage feud of uh, 1993 into 1994. For the time, it's pretty intense. It's pretty intense. It lasts a long time. There's little, um, you know, little uh, nuggets dropped throughout the year before the turn officially happens where you start to see crush, you know, kind of uh, discuss his friendship with the macho man and him being the only person who was there for him. And, you know, then uh, you start to see the cracks as uh, crush doesn't uh, get the job done against Yokozuna. And then you see the eventual turn in a very vicious beating on uh, Monday night raw, the macho man uh, just decimated on the outside of the ring by crush uh, with Bobby Heenan giving the, uh, basically the play by play, uh, during their in-ring uh, segment uh, as Crush came to the ring with Mr. Fuji. And, uh, you know, of course, he had a goatee. So that, of you know, that meant he was a bad guy. Come on, the inverse universe, the goatee signifies bad guy. Uh, but Crush becoming a heel, you know, you definitely wouldn't have seen it a year before as he's the ever happy and smiling uh, Hawaiian baby face with the Crusher, you know, the Kona Crush and the head vice. Just a, uh, it was a little bit of a shock, but again, the the decimating of the Macho Man and the absolute, uh, you know, destroying of him on the outside of the ring was 
very violent for a time where they did not uh, have that sort of television violence, uh, especially on Monday Night Raw. It really was uh, something that stood out. But it really comes down to be the last hurrah of the Macho Man as they have the False Count Anywhere match at WrestleMania 10. And, you know, eventually Macho Man would have a couple Monday Night Raw television main events, but would just settle into being a commentator for the rest of the year. He's the host of SummerSlam 94. And by Survivor Series, you know, he's gone. And, and that is a huge, huge departure in the grand scheme of things. And to see what he would end up doing in WCW, you know, where WWF wrote him off as being done and uh, somebody they weren't going to use as a key player anymore. He went in, went on to have multiple, multiple title runs at WCW and become a key member of the NWO eventually um, after all the shenanigans of uh, the Macho Man uh, being an adversary of the NWO and then an ally of the NWO. Um, he'd be a founding member of the NWO Wolfpack and all the way through the, uh, the Sid Vicious Association, you know, had a very key spot in WCW up to 2000, you know, and, and six years prior, Vince McMahon was writing them off. Now, one key thing that I think if you were around at the time and you were on the, you know, the early days of the internet, you know, the AOL chat rooms of the world and the dirt sheets and the Meltzer newsletters, you know, you kind of were let in on the inside that there was a potential reunion of the Macho Man and the WWF around 1996, around the time that he was taken off of WCW television after uh, Halloween Havoc 96. There was a very strong rumor he was going to re-debut at the Survivor Series as a mystery opponent, uh, mystery partner, excuse me, in one of the Survivor Series matches. You know, which would have gone right in line with his role in the WWF prior. You know, he's just leaving a main event at WCW. But if he came back in an undercard Survivor Series match as a mystery guy, like what would that have done for the trajectory of the next couple of years? You know, would we have seen the Macho Man get another uh, kind of revival? Would he get another title shot or would he just go back to being a commentator alongside McMahon and Lawler and Jim Ross and Jim Cornette and whoever else they had? in the booth at the time. So I think it was a good move that the macho man did it come back. Eventually um, he would, you know, before he passed away, but I think in 96, it was a great move that he didn't come back. Uh, but it is just kind of awkward to have the Vince McMahon uh, on camera to start off Monday night raw to say macho man has left the company and uh, you didn't get that goodbye. A lot of times you didn't get Vince McMahon coming on television, essentially breaking kayfabe to let you know, they couldn't come to a contract agreement and he was now gone. Uh, it's just a, it, it's a it's a puzzling use of such an icon, especially with how much Vince McMahon puts him over on commentary as a future Hall of Famer, you know, and, and a pioneer of the World Wrestling Federation. It's a it's a grand stage and pedestal he's put on up until WrestleMania 10, and then he is just gradually moved into that full time commentator role. And unfortunately, we would never get to see the Macho Man perform as uh, his his dynamic self in the ring in the WWF after uh, the summer of 1994. It's very unfortunate uh, if you haven't seen some of the Macho Man's work in the later half of his time in the WWF when they would use him on the house show loop. They would see a lot of European tours would have the Macho Man in tag team action, a lot of times teaming with Bret Hart. Uh, very cool stuff. If you can find it, uh, out on the internet, if you can find the bootlegs, if you can find some of the Coliseum videos, uh, excellent, 
excellent stuff. And uh, you got to you got to lead with the Macho Man because he really had an absolute um, and pivotal role as being the main veteran presence. They always talked about him as a two time champion. They always brought up his past wars with others, uh, and it was uh, just again just very very sad to know we never got to see a retirement match and hear that pop and circumstance one more time in the, uh, the aisles of a WWF arena. Uh, but how about this one? We'll just go right from one side of the mega powers to the next. And that's the Hulkster Hulk Hogan. Now, obviously uh, the Hulkster not around for a lot of time in this era. And again, we, we must preface. I count the new generation era as starting at the launch of Monday night raw in January, 1993. So Hulk Hogan's 1993, begins around uh, the end of February and ends about uh, the end of June, early July. Uh, again, crazy to see him in this uh, this this time because there wasn't a lot of people that he was going to be able to work with. Uh, he comes in considerably lighter, as we have ta- talked about at length in other episodes. Uh, but his first appearance on Monday Night Raw was a big deal. You know, the first word about it getting out there, there was uh, some commercials on USA that he was coming back. I uh, remember a big pitch on WWF Mania. You know, he comes back to save Brutus Beefcake, who had come back out of retirement to uh, get his face destroyed by Money Incorporated. Uh, then a gradual build to a tag team match at WrestleMania 9 with the dumbest ending in the history of Hulk Hogan matches. Uh, yes, even over the finger poke of doom. Uh, if you haven't seen the WrestleMania nine main event, the, uh, the, I don't remember if it was a DQ or, or draw or whatever. Uh, but Jimmy Hart reversing his jacket, counting to three, the mega maniacs thinking they won the belts and then it, going through the, it just was so dumb, just so stupid. Um, but nonetheless, the Hulkster, after he wins the title the same night at WrestleMania nine in Yo- against Yokozuna, you know, coming to the aid of Bret Hart and held held the belt until June at King of the Ring. He didn't do anything. As much as I love the Hulkster, there was nothing that was done with that world championship under his uh, his watch in 1993 that was really worth discussing. Uh, I think one of the cooler things is uh, an untelevised Coliseum video exclusive uh, Mega Maniacs, uh, Brutus Beefcake, and Hulk Hogan taking on the Beverly Brothers from a house show probably the coolest thing I think you could come across. Maybe the Monday night raw isn't bad either to see Hulk Hogan in the Manhattan center. Maybe the only time he was there. I don't know if he even appeared on any other ones, Uh, but nonetheless, you know, the Monday night raw era, you don't associate it with the Hulkster. You know, he had a very memorable uh, WWF magazine that showed off the, uh, the more svelte Hulk Hogan, you know, the, the smaller attire, but, you know, otherwise, uh, I got to say, if you're going to compare him just to the Macho Man and the Hulkster and the, 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 this era, the Macho Man steamrolls Hulk Hogan. I mean, the Hulkster's run is just is not good. Now, maybe how we got the uh, rumored Bret Hart match at SummerSlam, that could change. You know, like uh, Husey had talked about months and months ago, you know, did we get the or if we get the WrestleMania nine match against giant Gonzalez, you know, maybe we get a memorable Hulk Hogan body slamming a big monster, but we don't get any of that during this run. This is a very subpar and probably, you know, least memorable Hulk Hogan run of any, except for the beating of Yokozuna at WrestleMania nine. It's cool outside. It's cool that he's got the, you know, workout attire on, uh, and the busted eye from whatever happened, whether it was the macho man kicking his ass or the jet ski that they've talked about. 
uh, being in an accident. I don't whatever it was. It stunk. It was not a good run for the Hulkster. And if you were going to compare it uh, to uh, the Macho Man, Macho Man steamrolls him. Now, how about another one that goes in the unexciting column, but maybe could be almost on par with the Hulkster, even though the Hulkster won a title. And that's the Ultimate Warrior coming back in 1996. You know, every time Vince McMahon went back to the pot to think he had one of those happy days or here again moments that he thought he had with the Hulkster, uh, bringing back the Warrior um, is got to be one of the more questionable moves. But, you know, he had to do it, especially at a time where WCW was bringing out every single person that he had had under contract years prior um, in a main event role, you know, the dungeon of doom and everyone who was in that. And you see hacksaw Jim Duggan and the uh, macho man and Hogan. And then you got flares there and all these big, big names. He had to bring back the warrior. He, he swallowed his pride. If you've ever seen the letters written back and forth that have been made public as part of depositions and lawsuits, uh, they needed to have some sort of closing after the SummerSlam 91 debacle. Um, I wish this wasn't it. This is a very short run from um, WrestleMania to about July 1996. You know, the Warrior has the match with Triple H where he kicks out of his finisher in two seconds. You know, he has a, a not very memorable uh, feud with Gold Dust where, you know, a, a you know, just it, it was maybe look good on paper. It just wasn't very good. Uh, the Jerry Lawler King of the Ring match where <laughs> the Ultimate Warrior telegraphs the uh, painting being broken over his head by wearing a hat to the ring. Because, you know, all those times the Ultimate Warrior wore his uh, hats to the ring to uh, hawk the merchandise, especially on a night where he was going to get hit with a glass painting. Just uh, ridiculous. And, you know, if I'm going to think about the Ultimate Warrior, even if I'm going to go on a return basis, you know, the 92 return at WrestleMania 8 is much better, you know, from uh, WrestleMania 8 to Survivor Series. Hey, you know, at least you get a big main event with the Macho Man at SummerSlam. It's not the best one, but it's okay. And it's um, leaps and bounds above this. 1996, not a good showing for the Ultimate Warrior. So this one, to me, doesn't even really crack the old uh, vet radar. You know, this this guy did nothing to help the uh, the rest of them. Now, how about this one? We've talked about this before. I got to throw him on here. Uh, Rowdy Roddy Piper and his uh, couple ins and outs of this time frame. He had a good new generation run, obviously uh, starting it uh, as uh, popping in as a special guest referee at WrestleMania 10, having some segments on syndicated television, kind of giving him a, a more underground feel to him. They were trying to do a lot of the guerrilla style uh, video of the time that was very popular uh, but culminating the guerrilla style uh, vignettes with this uh, odd match with Jerry Lawler, uh, King of the Ring 94, where, you know, they had this uh, impersonator do a, a decent impersonation of Roddy Piper that you can actually still find the guy on Facebook doing the impersonation. Uh, but, you know, wasn't really that good. But other stuff Hot Rod did during the New Generation era was great. I thought he was the perfect WWF president after Gorilla Monsoon was written off television in 96. And the whole way he was used in the Gold Dust back alley brawl or backlot brawl and how he booked on paper or on television the Iron Man match. I think Hot Rod had a great 96 and, and, and it made up for the bad taste we had in our mouth from 94 
and that um you know the the way he came in he was just so skinny he just did not look good um you know he was very hollywood at the time and he was doing a lot of work and he was uh putting out a lot of movies during that time frame but the match didn't need to happen it it really it gets overshadowed so much by the king of the ring tournament itself and owen hart becoming the uh the king of hearts at that show but it's just not something when you go back to watch a piper match which aren't the best anyway this is a very boring very plotting match uh a lot of rest holds and just uh, not a lot of action and that really does hurt it uh big time so unfortunately i can't recommend that but his time as the acting president is phenomenal and if you go back and watch anything that's on YouTube or the network during that time, I think it's great. And uh, if you were like myself and on the house show loop in 96, you got to see him in action. I saw him uh, battle the one, two, three kid in a uh, uh, no holds barred match at the Meadowlands in 1996. And it was great. How, how cool is that? It was unannounced and you got the hot rod. I was so thrilled uh, seeing that as a kid. Uh, it was really um, one of the things I could say as I saw Roddy Piper wrestle live and I've seen a Piper's pit live. So uh, good for me. Uh, very cool stuff. Uh, another guy that had been around forever that quietly had a, a good little run in the new generation years, albeit he didn't really do much just to want to give him a little bit of a acknowledgement, but not an honorable mention. Like I will uh, some of the others. You got to nod your head to Mr. Fuji, Mr. Fuji is there the whole time, okay? He's there with Yokozuna in 93, 94, and in 95 when they bring Yokozuna back when he teams with Owen Hart, and he has his last appearance as an uh, in-ring manager with Yokozuna as part of a six-man tag at WrestleMania 12. It would be his final time managing anybody, and it would be at WrestleMania 12. So it spans from 93 to 96. I just want to mention him here in a quick, quick oversight, but not as a honorable mention, uh, because Mr. Fuji did, did sit ringside for many, many a main event during this uh, new generation era. So there you go, Mr. Fuji. A lot of respect. Uh, RIP, uh, the devious one, Mr. Fuji. Uh, you can't talk about this new generation era with talking about a guy who held the WWF championship during the new generation era. And the feud was literally old school versus new school. And that is Mr. Backlund, Bob Backlund, who starting the new generation off was just a uh, nameless, faceless, good guy on the roster. He had a good story. He was coming back after years of being away from the WWF. We all knew he was a former champion. They would talk about it all the time. Uh, but that one fateful superstars match where Bob Backlund snaps and turns heel on Bret Hart, not releasing the chicken wing after the match is over a shocking, shocking move when all you saw was a great match, this is during the time, like I talked about with the one, two, three kid match last week uh, on new generation declassified. You did not know Bob Backlund was turning heel. And all of a sudden you get this thrust into the main stage, Bob Backlund who had been there for years. And now you're supposed to believe he was a bad guy, but what a convincing bad guy. Bob Backlund was, I mean, from the first Kings court after the superstars through the whole entire build 
to the submission match at uh, uh, Survivor Series 94, the throwing in the towel, which how apropos is how Bob Backlund lost the belt in 1983 to the Iron Sheik. Here we are 11 years later battling for the world championship with Bret Hart, arguably the face of this new generation. It's an unbelievable story. It's an unbelievable performance by Bob Backlund. If you got to see Bob Backlund post WWF on the independent scene, he absolutely lived the Mr. Backlund uh, persona and would parade through the crowd just yelling at every person that he could get in front of. And it was such a spectacle, and it was so awesome to be a part of a live uh, crowd when he would do that. Um, and all the interviews you hear about Bob Backlund from the 70s into the early 80s is, you know, he always was kind of a loner. He was always kind of to himself. So maybe this uh, this beast was hiding inside of him there. But watch the snap. The snap is the best part. When you watch the Bret Hart Bob Backlund match from Superstars in 1994, and you see how Bret defeats him, and he goes back continually for the handshake, and you see Backlund getting frustrated and frustrated and frustrated. And then when he finally, finally snaps and puts Bret in the chicken wing, I mean, you thought Bret was dead. It was so convincing and it was so well done that you have to give your hats off to Bob Backlund. And then to culminate it with the championship win, look, he only had it for a few days, but he still won the belt during a time where they were pushing this young talent. And here is a veteran like Bob Backlund, who might as well, you could say he had the best new generation years because he was there from the beginning of it. He was there in 92, the end of 92, and he was a key cog in the wheel up till about the beginning of 96. He was still involved in television. He was always uh, given time. They did. Mr. Backlund goes to Washington. He ran for president and they gave him plenty of vignette time. And you, you got to really tip your cap to Bob Backlund, who went full bore into this bad guy persona, you know, and I'm watching it here as I'm talking to everyone up on the screen as I have one of these montages up. And when he slaps the crap out of Bret Hart, and slaps on that chicken wing. You believed that chicken wing was the most devastating hold because of how it was. And I defy anybody from that uh, time frame. And and please, if anyone's listening from that time frame, you tried to put the cross-faced chicken wing on your, your friends. It was the best thing to do. It absolutely was the easiest move you could snap on. That and the Million Dollar Dream were always go-tos uh, for myself. But, uh, yeah, you got to tip your cap to Bob Backlund as possibly having the best uh, new generation. But there's another guy who I still think had the best new generation. I'll get to him uh, shortly. A couple other folks that I want to uh, to mention here before we get into the honorable uh, mentions and before I reveal who my number one guy is uh, that I feel did have a very good and maybe the best new generation of all the vets Uh Mr. Perfect, okay, and again, these are vets that were there for the WWF Golden Era. Mr. Perfect had a damn good new generation run. Now, there's about a break of a year in the middle, and there's a little bit of a break in 96 uh, at the end. But still, uh, as the new generation starts, uh, we run Ric Flair out of town. Mr. Perfect is given a absolute giant push throughout the spring, summer, and to early fall before his departure in 93 
uh, where, you know, maybe he should have been a uh, three-time Intercontinental Champion or four-time, however many it was. Would it have been smart to beat Shawn Michaels at that point? I don't know. Uh, but his time in the ring throughout 1993 is phenomenal. Uh, some of the better matches of the era, even some for just the house shows, just a really great, um, uh, just a really great showing. Uh, but then as he returns in 94, briefly comes back as a special guest referee, but is not staying around long. Uh, but ultimately the following year survivor series, 1995 returns as a commentator. Uh, we don't use the under or over word on this show, but he was a perfectly rated uh, commentator with Vince as the straight man or the heel to Vince's straight man from Survivor Series 96. And then on a lot of the syndicated television up until he then begins to tease this in-ring return uh, first at the side of Mark Merrow, then turning on Mark Merrow and going with Triple H. And it looks like he's about to be the mentor of Hunter Hearst Helmsley, but no, the switcheroo uh, took place. He turns heel and then he is gone gone from the company not to reemerge uh to wcw until the fall and now like i've talked about on the show you know there's been long rumors that there were posters uh bandied about as advertising him as world wrestling federation champion and you know whether or not that was uh wishful thinking or uh false advertising nonetheless uh it's been rumored that he was going to be wwf world champion at some point and I mean, I would have loved to have seen it, but where would he have gone? You know, who would he have worked with? Would it have just been Brad, maybe another revival of his feud with Luger? It's kind of hard to see his, his spot when you look at the main event players of that uh, that era. You know, it would have had to have been one of those two guys. You know, I, I, a diesel, Mr. Perfect, uh, you know, feud on paper isn't really, I don't know, catching my attention. Uh, but nonetheless, I, I just think he had a great... Uh, new generation just because he served multiple purposes just like how piper did piper's best part of his new generation time was being the acting president perfect is as a perfect commentator and i think it was a, a, a role that he was uh definitely accustomed for with the gift of gab and uh those perfect promos that we would have and <laughs> one thing i do love and we have to uh, of course acknowledge is uh during this time the uh, the vignettes with the sports heroes and no no better uh, vignette done in the 90s than the Wade Boggs uh, <laughs> baseball vignette with uh, Mr. Perfect hitting the home runs and uh, Wade Boggs mouthing the words perfect to the camera. Just gold, gold. Um, so let me just give you a couple of my honorable mentions, just a few names and a few uh, descriptions. Uh, Hacksaw Jim Duggan albeit not around for a long time, had a, a very good showing uh, at the beginning. There was a lot of promise. He had a few back-to-back -back matches, back-to-back uh, -back weeks worth of matches on Monday Night Raw with Shawn Michaels for the Intercontinental Championship, including the big Lumberjack match. Um, he also had a very memorable uh, television feud with Yokozuna, where Yokozuna crushed him and sent him packing for quite a while. Uh, but then what people don't remember, and this is why I'm putting him on here as being a key uh, focal point for a good part of the uh, this early part of the new generation, is there were vignettes done for him and his return, bringing him back to his hacksaw roots and giving him the jeans and the cutoff uh, tank top and the uh, two by four and the bandana, you know, and very much so in line with what the original hacksaw debut was 
in the WWF. So I got to just kind of tip my cap to Hacksaw uh, because he was such a beloved guy at that point. And again, you know, when you talk about departures to WCW and guys that, yeah, okay, were they going to move the needle as everybody talks about now? No, but it was just nice to see he was there. And that's where I'll leave it with uh, Hacksaw, Jim Duggan. Uh, Jimmy Hart had a great new generation. Starts off as just the manager for Money, Inc. Had a big 1992 where he managed every tag team that had the championships in 1992, except for the LOD. And uh, yeah, he really uh, absolutely um, did a great job as becoming a babyface manager for Hulk Hogan. So maybe not the greatest showing at WrestleMania 9 with that terrible finish, but nonetheless, new life into an existing character like Jimmy Hart to turn him babyface you know, acknowledge the past of feuding with Hulk Hogan and having him by his side. And come on, those little Jimmy Hart megaphones they sold in the uh, the merchandise catalog. How could you not love those? Uh, another funny little side honorable mention is Kamala. Now, Kamala loses to The Undertaker at Survivor Series uh, 92, loses him at SummerSlam 92, uh, and is kind of cast off and turned on by Kim Chi, his handler, and is aligned with Reverend Slick in the early part of 1993 to include a uh, match that was cut for time from WrestleMania with Bam Bam Bigelow, um, but nonetheless built and uh, discussed at length on the television. It was um, a, an interesting usage of Kamala to uh, turn him babyface, to have Slick and the Reverend that he was now guiding him. It made for entertaining television. There is a kimchi Kamala blow off match on superstars. Sad they didn't get Monday Night Raw, but Kamala wins. The crowd is behind him. And you see what I'm talking about with the crowd. They uh, they got behind the face Kamala, which is very funny because who would have ever thought that that was the case? But here we go. I'm going to give you my number one choice for who had the best new generation era of the vets, the guys from our glory days, the ones that we loved those eighties, early nineties. And that is drum roll, please. If you're listening, do a drum roll for me. The million dollar man, Ted DiBiase. Ted DiBiase starts off 1993 as part of money incorporated. The tag team champions of the world has a high profile co-main event match with Hulk Hogan at WrestleMania nine would transition and wind down his in-ring career due to injury at the end of the summer feud with Razor Ramon before departing and then eventually retiring to only come back at Royal Rumble 1994 as a surprise uh, guest commentator, which would end up being a role he held very, very well throughout 1994 as a commentator on many shows and many home videos uh, but the formation of the Million Dollar Corporation will absolutely go down as one of the more underappreciated factions in World Wrestling Federation history. Now, you can say the corporation of 99-2000 or 98-99-2000. Was that Vince McMahon's uh, living his corporate dreams out through uh, what the Million Dollar Corporation was? A conglomeration of different heels and then a couple turned baby faces you know that you wouldn't necessarily see uh together at once uh but where i want to give him the nod over everybody you know maybe macho man would have been a close second piper again you know i i give him that time in 96 where it was good bob Backlund, you know wins a wwf championship 
but where you got to give the nod to DiBiase is this. If you really look at the summer of 1994, DiBiase is involved in everything except for the main event cage match or the, the world championship match at SummerSlam. He is the key cog in the wheel of Tatanka and Lex Luger and the Undertaker versus Undertaker match. Now, it's essentially, if you really look at it, the same exact feud as it's so-and-so turned, but is it really that person who turned? You know, was it really the Undertaker who turned? No, it was the fake Undertaker. We will not call him the Underfaker because I have expressed my displeasure for that name. Lex Luger. Was it Lex Luger who took the money and sold out? No, it was Tatanka. So it was essentially a bait and switch on both ends on the same show with the same guy who built this faction of guys who were great mid-card heels. You had your Bam Bam Bigelows. You had IRS. You had Nikolai Volkov getting thrown in the mix. You had Tatanka. You had King Kong Bundy. You would eventually have Sid. You had Kama, the Supreme Fighting Machine. You had these great personalities in this group that the million dollar man managing them, it just upped their value because he was always a main event player. He was always in the mix. Even as he got dropped down the card after 1989, you know, he was still always involved in something, the million dollar belt creation, the the feud with Virgil, the feud with Roddy Piper, you know, the, uh, the, the absolute ridiculously cool formation of money incorporated, the perfect mix, the tax man and the money man. They had a great run together over two years, but in 93, 94, 95, and all the way to this guy called the ringmaster, DiBiase was involved in a ton of World Wrestling Federation programming over this stretch up until he is gone in, in the mid part of the summer of 96 and would show up on WCW and again, be one of those key guys in the, the creation of the NWO that you needed to have in the group to get the group over. You needed this group of WWF guys that made it look like the WWF was invading the uh, WCW. And it was without Ted DiBiase, you couldn't have gotten it done in the way I'm crinkling my paper as I talk. Uh, You know, you absolutely wouldn't have been able to have the success that you had with um, the NWO if you didn't add DiBiase. And to think that he was with Steve Austin who was becoming the stone cold that we would all know. I mean, what a turn of events, what a, uh, what a change in history uh, with their association. But I I have to say without a shadow of a doubt, you got to give the nod to uh, the million dollar man, Ted DiBiase for his uh, time in the, uh, the new generation years, he had the best one, you know, and again, debate me, fight me, (laughs) whatever you want. I'm not going to say guys, veterans like Lawler because Lawler wasn't there in the heyday. You know, I'm not going to say guys like Bam Bam who only had a cup of coffee in the, the heyday. These are guys that were established names in the World Wrestling Federation glory days. And to be a part of these rosters that were growing and changing, they all had a role. And to me, Ted DiBiase had the biggest and best spotlight of anybody. So uh, I implore you to share your arguments with me. I would love to hear the feedback about it. Am I way off the mark? Am I just trying to elicit debate? I don't know. But what I remember and what I've watched recently you got to tip your cap to uh, Ted DiBiase without a shadow of a doubt because everybody has a price for the million dollar man. So before we wrap it up and say goodbye here on New Generation Declassified, I want to send everybody over to IBExclusives.com 
Check it out. We've got some uh, current private signings with a new generation staple, the Hitman, Bret Hart. Yes, indeed. Bret the Hitman Hart is doing a private signing with my company, IB Exclusives. You can get over there right now, pre-order an 8x10, or you still have time to get an item into me. Love to take care of it for you. That would be uh, wonderful and perfectly rated, which, oh, by the way, you could also get the perfectly rated uh, T-shirt on the IB Exclusives website. Uh, buy one. I got to send my kids uh, to school every day. They got to buy lunch. So why don't you buy a perfectly rated T-shirt and help out the cause? Uh, if you want to follow me on social media, it's at Chad EMB on Twitter and at IB Exclusives on Instagram. Uh, please come back and check out the next edition of New Generation Declassified. Uh, we can't do it without you. And I would love to talk to somebody outside of just myself, but you never know. We'll see what happens next. I appreciate everyone. Uh, so for the million dollar man and the million dollar corporation and their dominance of the new generation era, this is your old buddy, the Chadster. We will catch you on the flip side. Thanks for listening to the two man power trip of wrestling. What the world is downloading.